0: episode 27 hosted by Thomas Holbrook II and Stephen Tompkins. And welcome to a new episode of the next report.
1: I'm Thomas. And I'm Stephen Tompkins.
0: And he is our new co-host. Um, what had happened in the previous episode is that there were some creative differences between myself and my previous co-hosts, so the decision was made to part separate ways. Um, And I wish them the best of luck in their future endeavors. They have a bright future ahead of them wherever they're going to. But anyway, um, the redesign of the site's in order, and that's, for the most part, done. I just need to add a few more touches and it'll be finished. We have a new podcast feed that's a lot more cooperative And the link to that is on the next com. Just click the little podcast uh, link and you'll see the new software that's being used for it, Podcast Generator. It's very, very, very good software uh, to use. Anyway, um, I approached uh, Stephen, the other Stephen, um, two Stephens on the... On the, this whole thing, it's going to be interesting,
1: and <laughs> it yeah, will definitely be interesting.
0: The, the names are first names spelled differently on each person, too. One uses a P, H. The other uses a V. You, you're the one with the V.
1: Yeah, yeah. That that might help with some distinction.
0: V for victory, right? Hell oh, yeah! <laughs> so one of the reasons I approached. Um, you is because of your background in technology, your interest in technology. One of the focuses of the website is specifically technology-based. I started the website to merge two interests of mine together into one. And along the way... Right people happen to be here at the right time, and you happen to be in the right place at the right time. So I figured I'd ask you: what, What's your background in technology? When did you?
1: Well, um, if I want to go back as far as I can possibly think to uh, my first introduction into technology, would probably be when I was about eight, nine years old. My parents had got a computer from a friend of ours, and we would used it for a few years. And then my parents decided to get a new computer. And when we did that, my parents gave me the old computer that we had, which was a Packard Bell. Um, it had a 166 megahertz Pentium MMX processor, which was by no means a beast. It also had a 2.1 gigabyte hard drive, which is usually the size of RAM nowadays, a small size of RAM, (laughs) usually for netbooks. Um, It had a CD drive. It had USB 1.1. I mean, all the bells and whistles of the time. But the previous user had decided to wipe the Windows 95, which it was built for, and put Windows Millennium Edition on it. So booting took about 5 to 10 minutes. And the hard hard drive was very noisy, so it would click very loudly while well, I look. Um, but, um, wow. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's definitely antiquated nowadays, but that was my first introduction, and then over the years I decided to tinker, uh, learn a little more on my own. I would delve into the uh, interdirectory directory substructure of our high school's server setup and tinker, and I never got... Uh, pulled in the office or anything for that I don't think they ever found out I didn't really do any tampering with files I mostly just delved into it and found out some tricks and like you could have a couple people log on with the same user and password at the same time and it would allow that to go through if you had did it simultaneously but if you logged in like uh, three or four seconds apart then it wouldn't allow you to do that but there was a workaround <laughs> L- so,
0: Let me guess, your school used Novell Netware.
1: Yes, it did. It was, it was <laughs> Novell Netware, and I think we had Deep Freeze on the server, too, so that way any changes that were made to the uh, C drive would be wiped after midnight. So some teachers were not used to being, having to save to a network drive. And instead, they were saving a lot of their stuff that they were using to the C-drive. And then afterwards, the next day, why is all my stuff gone? Well, that's because of deep freeze.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, you Did you go to high school here in Warrensburg? Uh,
1: no, I didn't. Um, I graduated from Osceola High School, which is about uh, an hour south of here, uh, roughly 60 to 62 miles. I don't know the exact number. Right. Um, but I was born and raised there. Uh, it's a, a K through 12 school, all, all grades in one building. Uh, and when we graduate, when the students graduate from there, they usually have a, uh, picture of all the kids that went all the way from kindergarten through 12th grade through their senior year and graduate. And there was about, uh, I think 10 to 15 of us in that picture. I have a picture of it somewhere, uh, <laughs> But it's, it, was, it was pretty interesting to see how many people would come in and go and how many people are left and the friendships that you make along the way.
0: So, so you, did, you didn't use any exploits that bombarded the entire network with network messages or anything like that?
1: No, but uh, there, there had been a couple of issues where a couple of students figured out how to message people. And I, I did that in one of my tech classes, actually where we were supposed to... I think we were supposed to be messing with AutoCAD that day, but I didn't want to mess with AutoCAD. It was... It wasn't to my liking, at the time, anyway. And so we were tinkering around with that, and one of the students put a message on that teacher's screen who happened to be projecting it onto a screen. So the whole class saw it, and it wasn't anything derogatory, but it was still pretty funny. (laughs) I don't think the teacher liked that too much, though.
0: Um, one time, uh, a certain student, I was taking computer programming with, through the votech uh, who had a partnership with Orangeburg uh, High School District. orangeburg uh, High School. And, unfortunately, they used Novell Network for networking, which was, turned out to be kind of a bad idea for a couple of reasons. The fact that you could explore different directories, which you pointed out, Um, and the other fact that a student got so bored with programming that they started going onto certain websites downloading certain exploits without understanding them, and it just flooded the entire network with garbage messages, which luckily they were able to clear them out, close the window, and be done. <laughs> um
1: <back> um <laughs> <can> be problematic
0: <laughs> in, back in Leeton it went to the login server and never left they had to physically take the server down in order to make the messages go away um uh, for some reason at the voteex somehow some way you know th- this was just from what I had heard from one of the teachers in my high school, the the student got into big, big trouble. Um, uh, people from Whiteman Air Force Base wanted to talk to them because I'm assuming it had something to do with whatever schools were on the Air Force Base were also using network. They may have had some partnerships with surrounding school districts, something, I don't know. I guess somehow some way the exploit made its way all the way from Warnsburg to White Men <laughs> and that student was in the principal's office in tears because they didn't know what was gonna happen. So another funny story I, I was in basically the equivalent of an I introduction to information technology class. Technology information management it was called. And we were using our XP professional on our servers which was fighting with the high school's Novell network servers. The Novell network servers were losing. (laughs) So um (laughs) Uh, hooray Microsoft on that one I guess. (laughs) Yeah I (laughs) Go open source. (laughs) So, I'm just like, wow. And, and I'm betting NetWare is still used to this day because sharing a printer is so easy on it, but it's just, oh my God.
1: (laughs) I, I remember in one of, I took a Unix class a few years ago when I was going to school in State Fair Community College in Sedalia. And, and Novell was based off of Unix, so that's how it got brought into the discussion of the Unix operating system, because the class was not about anything specific other than just how to work, use a Unix operating system from the command line, mostly, and work around it, change directories, most of the normal simple stuff that you would learn if you're a beginning user. But he mentioned one of the reasons why Novell was so popular at the time was because it was so cheap. It was such a cheap thing for schools to use because it would be like, uh, I don't know, less than $100 for a license that they could use for an entire year, and they could just have to re, re, uh, re-license every year. It was really simple. It was easy to use. And it was it was just user friendly for the administrator and the school itself.
0: right and plagued with vulnerabilities that, <laughs> that um, would cause all kinds of problems depending on your situation. But, um, personally I, I my 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 exposure to technology was, you know, slowly but surely. It was mainly video game consoles of the older variety. You know, growing up in the household where it seems like, you know, cool kids get everything else first and you get the leftovers. Um, Eventually, a computer was purchased. Windows 95 was put on it. But that's as far as that went. Exposure to computers was through school. It was Windows 311 for work groups. <laughs> when it was before my time? When Windows 98 was just beginning to come out, there were still plenty of workstations that were running that operating system. I eventually was able to acquire a computer of my own, and then eventually from there, I got curious. Said, oh, "Okay, I've heard about this Linux thing during the whole Microsoft <laughs> antitrust uh, trial." And so the first the first one I tried was Mandrake. It wasn't completely successful. It locked up on my hardware, but that was that was the first instance of it. I had off and on success until ran into something called Ubuntu. I downloaded it. Uh, through the college, using the college's bandwidth, because, you know, (laughs) being at home at the time, didn't have internet access, the only option would would have been dial-up, and that...
1: I remember the dial-up days. Oh,
0: man. So I I grabbed the copy, burned it, it was actually... the, the file was not corrupted, and the burn did not, you know, completely bork on me, so... I popped it into a compact restarter that I had. Lo and behold, just about everything worked. The only thing that didn't really work was 3D acceleration, because the Radeon I- 9100 IGP, Ooh. the, F- <laughs> the, um, the um, proprietary drivers didn't support 3D rendering on them for whatever reason. To this day, I never understood why, but um, open drivers enable it more or less nowadays, but I don't never understood why the company never supported that specific graphics GPU. But oh well. But everything else worked, including USB ports, audio, and everything else. Whereas with other distros like Fedora, I would have a problem with some hardware just not showing up. So that was one of the first ones that gave me that aha moment going, this has progressed pretty far. And that was back when they used GNOME for the, inter- for the interface before they started messing with it during the advent of the netbook and everything else. So, you... Your first foray into the into the Linux world is through Ubuntu,
1: correct? Yeah. Yes, it was. Um, it was actually couple of years ago, when I was still going to school at State Fair, uh, before I took my UNIX class, actually, I had a little bit of a background before walking into that class, My, uh, who eventually I would be roommates with was my friend who introduced me to Linux, and at the time he was using, I believe, 10.04 LTS, and so he introduced me to that and showed me, how to partition stuff, and I had never messed with partitioning drives before, and when I went in to do it, and I, he had it set up to dual boot on his uh, Toshiba Cosmio laptop, which is this big, beastly gaming laptop, which was pretty cool at the time, but now it's like four years old hardware that probably can't run it as smoothly as it used to. But I decided, okay, I'm going to give it a try, and I was trying to dual boot. I ended up wiping my partition, deleting all my Software, Windows, all my files, all that stuff disappeared. (laughs) And that was mostly because I clicked on the wrong thing and then hit continue rather than partitioning it out before I booted into the live medium. Other than that, my first introduction to Linux was really rough because I had to get used to that because I didn't have Windows on the PC after that. And it was actually fairly smooth. And Ubuntu is built to be a user-friendly operating system that anybody can use, whether it be a developer, a standard user for web browsing, uh, getting on Facebook, emailing, IMing, all that normal stuff that practically everybody does now. Or they can even use it for business. They have a uh, canonical, the company that backs it, has a big push for businesses, so that way it will make it easier for them to use it, and their um, project management uh, thing, uh, I forgot what they call it.
0: Landscape, of believe. Yes,
1: landscape, which allows you remotely to look at any device that you have Ubuntu installed on, whether it be a, a server, a desktop, laptop, whatever that's connected to the network, you can manage it from one location in a web browser, even. And uh, I've never messed with that, but from what I've read into it, it's it's some pretty interesting software, and it's very nice. Very, very nice.
0: So, like... So, 10.04, that's right before they start really hammering on uh, bringing Unity over. Unity started out as the Netbook Remix interface. And yes, it did. Which worked very well for... Smaller screens, and they said, "Well, let, let's do this for a regular interface and a desktop. Do the whole convergence on multiple devices."
1: Which there's good and bad in that, and I think that's probably one of those things that you can walk up to five different people, and they're going to give you five different answers. All oh, that, all going to be similar. And most people, if you browse the internet or rummage through forums and everything, a lot of people hate. Gnome 3 and Unity. Mostly because it's centered around uh, touch-based devices now. Which, I don't have a problem with it. I, I, st- I still remember 10.4, which is what I was introduced with, had Gnome 2.3.2, I think. I don't know. 2.3 for sure. And it was fairly intuitive, easy to use. And then when everything moved to Unity... People that were used to GNOME 2.3 freaked out, <laughs> lost their mind because everything's gone. You don't have an applications button or menu that drops down and shows all your applications organized by internet, system software, uh, uh, multimedia software. All those groups are gone. So people that were used to that are no longer happy with GNOME. And thankfully, later on down the road of, I don't know, probably six months later, Mate was introduced, which is practically gnome two three but updated.
0: Uh, um, yeah, that that particular one, um, it's it was a fork of the last version of gnome before it was bumped up to three. Um and. Uh, and uh, I'm with on pronunciations because I sound it out in my head and annoys me when I can't figure out okay, how do they intend for it to say and they pronounce it "monte," like right with latte.
1: Huh. Yeah. I did and, not know that.
0: Well, it's like, okay, how do I pronounce this darn thing? I'm like, okay. Sort, sort of like for the longest time I read a quote from Bill Gates and I didn't know what his voice sounded like and like, this is annoying me because when I'm reading a quote the voice pops up in my head of what it sounds like I'm like okay I'm, I'm kind of strange like that
1: <laughs> I can understand completely
0: um, but yeah Mint Linux Mint they have they are tremendously helping out on Latte they're, they're doing a fork of sorts called Cinnamon as well of GNOME 3, which that's been interesting from what I understand.
1: I've actually had the opportunity to mess around with both Mate and uh, Cinnamon. Uh, I like Cinnamon a little bit more because it brings in some of the features that you have in Gnome 3, some of the 3D rendering features that were available in Gnome 2, Three, and Mate as well, but it's been updated to where... Um, Kind of like Unity has a lot of 3D effects when you scroll over things or when you move windows and they have sort of an arrow snap feature for when you drag a window all the way to one side and then the other one all the way to the other side, so you can have two windows up at the same time with equal width, so you can multitask. Um, I'm, I don't sh- I'm not sure that they brought that into the Cinnamon, but uh, there's, it's also very, very, very customizable allows the user to change not just the fonts, the uh, uh, colors, backgrounds, all that other stuff. You can you can go in and tweak, fine-tune the settings more than you could in, kind of like you could in uh, GNOME 2.3, right. which they've gotten rid of in GNOME 3, where you can only change very, very minute amounts of things. And I know for me, I don't really mess with that too much, but it, the option is available. And I like that and that's been kind of hacked out of Gnome 3 and Unity as well. Um,
0: what do you think of the concept of, like, the scopes and Unity? Um, how, in some ways, ha- Canonical trying to obtain revenue somehow, some way, in that manner? Because there's been, like, people asking, okay, what about privacy... Issues regarding the scopes that can search for web results while you're using the dash to search for your files and things like that. Mm-hmm.
1: The problem that I see with that primarily is, uh, and coming from a programmer standpoint, uh, the the dash icons that you are ha- dash items that you have that are web apps communicate with the internet, and the Unity dash is built to where you can search for something, and, and now, especially at 13.10, you can type in something, and it searches everywhere. Everywhere that's available on the internet, your own personal computer, or anything, your Gmail uh, your Gmail account, you can attach Unity to your Gmail account, and it'll search through Google Docs, email, all kinds of other things that people would consider private. I personally do not Necessarily like the idea of that. It can be handy, and I can understand why they're trying to do it to make it more uh, readily available for users to just attach their accounts to the uh, the computer that they're using, and then just type in whatever they're searching for, and it will look for whatever. And in terms of speed and uh, uh... oh crap, That's the word I'm thinking. Of
0: convenience?
1: Yes. <laughs> I don't know why that escaped my mind. But yes, in terms of speed and convenience, using the dash to search for anything, whether it be from any account or your personal computer, that's very, very good. But I feel like there's going to be all kinds of privacy issues regarding that. Especially when it comes to a Google account. Because I know some people, I haven't d- messed with it yet, but Google has... An app for Android and other a program online uh, called Google Wallet, where you can attach your credit card information, your debit card information, right. and use that stuff online without having to know your debit card number or bring it out every time. You just click pay or whatever is convenient at the time. And so I, there's there's good and bad and everything, but I am a little cautious about these uh, scopes. The Wikipedia scope, however, is pretty handy because I know you can search something in the Unity Dash, and then if, it, if you have the uh, Wikipedia option down available, and you click on it, it brings up a little preview of what it would look like in Wikipedia and just brings up the introductory paragraph. And if you want to search for something in like, like uh, a thesaurus or a word, something, uh, a topic that you just recently learned about, but don't know many details about it, that would be handy. Otherwise, eh, still a little cautious about that one.
0: Like, they were trying to get a significant portion of MIR available, and unfortunately, um, this release does not have XMIR in the final release, though people can install it later on their own if they so desire. Um... There's been mixed reactions with Mir. Some people are like, okay, sure, others don't really care, and then there are people who are upset because Canonical decided not to support Wayland. Um, Intel even went so far as to reject certain patches by saying we don't approve of Canonical's actions, which.
1: What I find most interesting about uh, Wayland and Mir both is that. Both of them were steamheaded or spearheaded by Canonical. Originally, Canonical wanted to use Wayland as the next display server as a replacement for Xorg, which uh, was in the works a couple of years ago when they started doing it. And then, out of the blue, they dropped it. They dropped support for it and quit working on it. And they picked up this new project called Mir. And I can't remember what the details of the differences were between Wayland and Mir, but The similarities are both of them are supposed to be a lot easier to use than XORG. And anybody that's messed with XORG and gone in and had to actually manually create the configuration file, it can give you headaches. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was messing with Gentoo at one point, and I had to create a custom configuration file, and I had all sorts of problems with that. So I understand why they're making the change. I-for-one support.
0: Um, X, the X-Windows system coming about as a result of the whole network transparency thing for remote, really running graphical applications and everything else, but now people are having to work their way around it when Compiz and Barrel were around they had to work around it in all sorts of ways. Um, I believe the aim of Mirror is to have an entire API-based um, thing, whereas um, Wayland, I don't know, you could add plugins and such to it. It's just different philosophies, ways of doing stuff, and, and people are like, some people are complaining that Canonical doesn't have anything original, and then when Canonical has something original, they complain that they're not supporting anybody else and everything else. But um, I don't know. I just I have not been able to get Ubuntu thirteen ten quite completely working on one of my computers yet because it has a Nvidia Quadro. MBS 130M. Which, depending on which driver you're using, it might work flawlessly or be problematic.
1: And, well, I remember reading an article online, either that or a co-worker of mine had told me about it, who is uh, very, very stickler when it comes to his preferences on Linux. Um, he had mentioned that NVIDIA drivers tend to be crap, which that's not the exact word he used. He was a little bit more vulgar about it. (laughs) Very vulgar about it and very uh, uh, negative towards it. But uh, speaking from experience, my roommate had uh, problems with his NVIDIA driver on Windows in his Tokushibo Cosmio Gaming laptop. (laughs) So his driver would fail every now and then, and he also had problems with the open source driver on Linux. And I remember, uh, Linus Torvalds himself was quoted saying that NVIDIA sucks when it comes to open source drivers, or their proprietary drivers for Linux anyway, and not working with uh, Linux corporate uh, distributions and corporations who use Linux to create better drivers. They don't really like to work on that. Not uh, sure why.
0: He flipped the bird to them, too.
1: <laughs> that doesn't surprise me.
0: <laughs> Although now there's... Um, I did run across a story last several days um, where they're... where they're possibly working with the Novell people. Um, And this was from Ars Technica, and they're basically saying they're trying to get uh, on Linux developers' good side. Um, And the Novell people were emailed and told that public documentation on certain aspects of GPUs would be released and that sort of stuff. So there is is, some opening up to an extent and probably going along the same strategy, similar strategy that AMD is going by, realizing that they can't support certain older hardware forever, so why not let somebody else pick up the slack at this point so they can focus on their newer products, which might be a good strategy.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a great strategy because focusing too much on legacy hardware, I realize there are applications for legacy hardware that will never be replaced or at least not in the near future. Uh, and as far as I know, some some corporations still have to use five and a, five and a quarter inch floppies for certain things which is usually like BIOS and other very low level software. So Support for that moving on from the company that makes the newest graphics cards and stuff is completely understandable. That way they can focus on the stability and the working on the drivers, AMD especially, and I'm an AMD fan, but I understand their drivers tend to be really technical sometimes.
0: Um, and a funny story about um, being told how horrible NVIDIA drivers were um, I've heard equally horrid things about AMD's driver in the past. So, it's yeah, I don't know, but yeah, um, a lot of people are still using the older stuff. Heck, the NSA is still using tape backups.
1: That's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> Which which they're they're probably not the only group to use tape backups. Other companies probably still use tape backups, too, because it's cheap and it works for them. But, you know, it's neither here nor there at this point. (laughs) So you've been looking at this interface so far on 1310 on your system. Uh, Any
1: first impressions? Well, the first thing before... Since I'm running it off of a CD, of course there's going to be a little bit of lag in terms of booting it up, but it brought up the background, and the default background is still the same color scheme and still a similar pattern, but it's, to me, a lot more vibrant, and it pops out out at you a little more. I like the default background. And the interface itself, I noticed there was one change in the notification bar where you could change your uh, character encoding between... The default is four different versions of English, uh, be it United States, uh, Cameroon, Ghana, and United Kingdom, which could be very handy if uh, you're using a PC and you're going across different uh, places that use different uh, languages, especially if you travel, and that's one of those things that I think Canonical is pushing for business people, those those people that use uh, Linux in business. Um, I haven't got to mess with much of the other stuff at the moment. I know the Unity interface, where all your uh, shortcuts are, uh, they brought in some new changes in 13.04, and I think they've uh, refined those a little more in 13.10. In the default installation, when it uh, asks you for a username, password, and all the other normal stuff it's going to ask you for right afterwards. If you have an Ubuntu single sign-on account, it asks you for that, too, so that way you can download your stuff from the cloud, your music uh, backups that you save for different Linux systems if you have multiple computers, and so on and so forth, which I think is a wonderful change. Uh, So far, far, even though this is an older system, it seems to be running fairly smooth, and it's almost done installing. I'm just... uh, Right now, it's actually... Copying over the packages should be done here soon, but uh, I think that it's going to be fairly smooth, and I like it.
0: Um, and obviously, when their their next release is going to be their five-year support release, their it'll be the next LTS
1: release, yes.
0: Meaning they're going to start hammering things out now and trying to probably get near working on that version,
1: maybe. I I can't remember where I read it, but I read an article that they're trying to push towards that. They're also trying to push towards, right now, the current version of Unity that is uh, shipped with 12.04 is, I believe, Unity 6. And then uh, 12, uh, 14.04 I think is supposed to ship with either 7 or 8. I'm not sure. I think 7's in 13.10.
0: yeah. That's the version.
1: Okay, that's what I thought. So, 8 should be shipping with 4th uh, on the floor, which I'm not sure what changes are going to be made at the moment, but I think they're probably going to bring in some more changes, including MIR. They're really pushing for that, and I'd like to see how far that goes and see how good it, how good it works. I'd like to test it myself. So, I hope they bring it in. But... Uh, so far, 13.010, uh, 13.10 seems really smooth, and it's still running on Xorg at the moment. I don't think I'm going to install Xmir. I don't have to hassle with driver issues at the moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and right now, not it, not everybody has warmed up to it. That and without that support, um, there it's Canonical will be on their own trying to manually code drivers themselves and fork drivers. Which can be done, it just will take longer. But that's, you know, that's what people gotta do. Um, There are people who are opposed to certain things like System
1: D. (laughs) Uh, One of my co-workers, I caught a lot of gruff mentioning to him that uh, I noticed on all Ubuntu distributions now, including xUbuntu and Kubuntu and all the other distributions, they're all shipping with SystemD now, instead of what I, I can't remember what the default was originally, but they're all shipping with SystemD now. So, I told him this, because it was just a brief comment in the middle of uh, doing our normal uh, work. I mentioned it to him, and he, he just went, ugh. I don't want to I don't want to hear about system D. <laughs> so he's very against it
0: um, yeah so some people are for it some people are against it um, some system administrators find it to be wonderful I guess um, I liken it to if it works for you use it otherwise there's a plethora of other options out there so um and so you're rebooting your system right now. Yep, so it just
1: finished and popped up the CD. I'm just waiting for it to boot up and get past the BIOS. And I'll get into a fully installed environment.
0: And, and I want to find out if it forks the characters like
1: it did on mine. That will be interesting to see.
0: Because it looked like letters were missing, and then, and then I looked, no, this little blocks where certain letters should be, and I'm like, oh my goodness. But then again, that was the no valve driver working, sort of. I'm
1: and also running on different hardware. I'm running on uh, AMD integrated graphics. So that could bring its own set of problems, primarily like 3D.
0: Who ever thought Intel and AMD would come together
1: in a system? That that's, uh, that's, that's funny that you mention it, because this is, I think, one of the only very few systems that they did it on was this... Uh, gateway laptop that I have, and my parents had a desktop that had actually an AMD processor the same Intel, or uh, same uh, AMD-based gr- uh, integrated graphics, but I think this is one of the only systems that they used Intel and AMD integrated graphics, <laughs> which was I don't know, it's pretty crazy. I don't but, see why that would ever happen, because those companies fight pretty hard. Like, I've especially se-
0: now. I, I've run into this, i you know, I cor- i3s i type systems that, you know, that have AMD graphics in them that are portables. And I'm like, this is interesting. And so, but then again, people are arguing that graphics is what's saving AMD right now more than anything else.
1: And I, uh, they just changed their uh, naming scheme for their graphics cards. Originally, uh, I think for the, for the past, I don't know, five years or so, they've been using the Radeon HD 2000, 3000, 4000, right. up to 7000 series graphics cards. And now uh, they've released their new series, which is the R5, R7, and R9 graphics cards with the highest level being the R9 and the lowest level, more affordable level, being the R5 of the dedicated series. And the R9 290X is supposed to be the most high-end graphics card that you can get from AMD for a desktop system. And the specs compared to the 7970 GHz edition are pretty crazy and far out there compared to... It's still running on the same graphics core next architecture. But it's uh, GCN 2.0 is what they're putting it as. So it's going to be interesting to see the performance of that graphics card. It's definitely going to be interesting. Seeing as the uh, 797 GHz edition has a uh, little over 2,000 stream processing units, and the uh, 290X has almost 3,000.
0: With basically a lot of power for more than just graphics. I would imagine OpenCL would be very interesting on that if, <laughs> if people want to use it for other types of computations, doing really tricky math and things like that.
1: How's it looking so far? Well, I've, I've actually been messing around with it with the fully installed environment. So far, I don't see any characters... Going crazy. The 3D performance is actually better than I expected. It looks nice. The uh, contrast is good, and um, so far I'm not having any problems. So I'm going to go ahead and start installing some of my usual applications.
0: All right. It looks yeah. It looks like it's looks like Canonical's getting ready for a big push on their stuff, and we'll see if. We'll see how far they go. I'm still debating on whether I'll um, try it on all my systems or if I'll just wait for Fedora to come out, because Netrunner worked very well on on the newly acquired Toshiba Tecra M9 system, but that was with the new Valve driver. I tried installing the NVIDIA driver and it wouldn't log into the desktop. It would show the lock-in screen at least, but it wouldn't go further than that, so I figured, oh, problematic driver. So, um, it needs a battery anyway. It hardly works on that thing right now. It doesn't hold but 16% charge total capacity, according to what the prompts were telling me, <laughs> meaning battery shot. Oh, <laughs> well, they did sell it as is, so... that should wrap up this episode, and it's good to be back. We are on thenextreport.com, where you can check out our social networking link down the sidebar. Um, We are also on Tumblr, .tumblr thenextreport.tumblr.com. I've been bugging the WordPress theme author to kind of kindly add the... uh, tumblr button so that others can link to their tumblr if they use that theme so i'm thomas and i'm steven Tompkins. and entertain yourself educate yourself and empower yourself thanks for listening and feel free to subscribe to our rss feed and spread the word
1: thank you for listening to episode 27 the intro is brought to you by the introvert an independent band Their Facebook page can be found in the show notes on the podcast page.